finish up Second Samuel. And Second Samuel ends with a bang. By that I mean really. got to take out everything, not just what you like or don't want or kind of want to ignore. We also finished with, with a recount of David's mighty men, and, and uh, we saw the comparison of just like David's army, the Lord's army is composed of many soldiers of different abilities, but all are useful, and God knows the names of all those that are his, right down to the detail. God knew all, uh, just like, you know, in, in the Old Testament list, God knows and remembers all these people, and so uh, it's a reminder of what the New Testament teaches about how he knows all those that are his. And we will be rewarded right along with the most useful and well-known saint, those in the Lord's army. Uh, we uh, It doesn't matter uh, what you do, if you're faithful to the Lord and where he's called you, then he knows you, uh, he will reward you. with the, And I think there's just some uh, parallels there with some of these things that we read about in the Old Testament. Well, as we come to chapter 24, it doesn't take long for us to start having questions about this account. Let's stand and we'll read the first uh, several verses of this account. Read down to, uh, well, we'll read down through perhaps verse 17. It says, and again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. And so the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord and the king still see it. Or in other words, you know, in your lifetime. But why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's words prevailed against Joab and the commander of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out in presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and began to at Aora, and from uh, the city that is in the middle of the valley toward Gad and to Jezreel, uh, Jezreel, 
Then they came to Gilead, to Kadesh, the land of the Hittites, and so forth. And on down to verse 9, Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king in Israel. And there were 800 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. But David's heart struck him after he numbered the people. David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, take away, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet of Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you, choose one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land, or shall you flee three months before your foes? While they pursue you, or shall there be three days pestilence in the land? Now consider and decide that what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let not me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men. But when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel, who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. We'll stop there. He may be seated and then we'll uh, read uh, the aftermath here in just a moment. <clears throat> well, as I said, uh, all of a sudden, when you read this, you begin to have questions because we're, we're not really told some of the details as to why the Lord is angry at Israel. We don't know why. There's, of course, all sorts of speculation. I won't go into all that. Uh, because nobody really knows. But in some way, the Lord is angry. Israel has sinned, and they are then uh, under a curse. God is, is, is uh, it says here at the beginning uh, that he incited David against them. The problem is when you go to First Chronicles and you read its account over in chapter 1, uh, it says that Satan uh, moved David to do that. And so you've got that little, uh, not really a problem, but certainly some make it a problem. And uh, it's it's why you have these First, uh, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, and First, Second Chronicles is because they offer a, a uh, insight. They 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 give you information that you perhaps didn't have at first, and so now we can add to that. And First Chronicles certainly does that. Because it explains here that the Lord didn't incite David to sin, but Satan incited David to sin, and yet it was the Lord who uh, wanted Satan to do this. And we'll get into that in just a moment. <clears throat> so we're not told why the Lord is angry at Israel. Um, I, I think we see that the important point is that they have sinned against him and so are therefore under his wrath. And we'll see that's uh, the, the important thing. Um, God is angry. And, of course, we know God is just in all that he does. And so we know that God is, is just in this particular case. 
As we said, more interesting perhaps is that it appears that in some way God has caused David to take this census and then punishes him to do, for doing it. You know, David knows it was wrong and said, well, then why did God want him to do it? Well, God doesn't want him to sin, but it was God's purposes that David was going to do, uh, let be allowed to do this. David's doing this in his own pride and the Lord is going to allow this to happen. And I think when we get to the end of the lesson, we'll see why, of course, all this was taking place to begin with. Of course, those unfamiliar with the Bible, who tend to want to hold God accountable to their misguided uh, sense of justice, have a harder time with this than others. This is something that we have covered time and time again, because it is one of the most difficult questions that so many face, and because I think so many churches really ignore it or fail to really deal with it, uh, it causes a lot of confusion for people. Certainly books have been read on this this idea of the uh, sovereignty of God and the decrees of God versus the responsibility of man, which is kind of what we've got here. And we've seen how often God uses men's sin to accomplish his purpose through secondary causes. Uh, of course, we've talked about Genesis 50. It, it was God's purpose for, De- for Joseph to be sent down to uh, Egypt, right? And how was he going to do that? By allowing his brothers to exercise sin against him. It was God's will. So David said, uh, you meant it for evil, brothers, but God meant it. See, God uh, was behind his brothers doing this, not, not in a way that overrode their will but uh, in a way that allowed their sin to express itself in in the uh, will of God. Remember how the king of Syria in uh, Isaiah 10 is punished for fighting against Israel when God says that he was sent to punish Israel for their sin and that he's going to punish the king of Assyria for doing it because the king of Assyria was doing it, not because he was obeying the Lord in anything, but out of pride and, and his cruel heart. And so God uses him as he exercises his sinfulness, but he's going to, he's going to pay for that sinfulness. He's going to be punished for that sinfulness. Even though he is being allowed, it was the eternal decrees of God that allowed it to happen. Think about Judas. Judas is condemned for uh, betraying Jesus, and yet it was something that even the Old Testament prophesied was going to happen. Uh, there's Isaiah 42, 24. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderer? Well, the Lord. Was it not the Lord? Against whom we have sinned. In the, whose ways we would not, they would not walk and whose laws they would not obey. So, the Lord didn't cause the looters to sin. He didn't say, you've got to do this whether you want to or not. They did it because that's what kind of people they were. They had no respect for anybody else. And yet the Lord made sure that they did it to Israel because it was his purposes. Notice also, of course, First Chronicles 21.16. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven. And in his hand a drawn sword stretched out. Over Jerusalem. And so, of course, this is, we, we uh, read this uh, in our account in Second Samuel as well. But notice what it says. David looks up and he sees the angel um, 
striking these people through pestilence. Well, the Lord, of course, was doing this, but he was using a secondary cause uh, to, to do his killing in this particular case. And so, uh, it, it's not a difficult thing to understand. Uh, what we don't understand is how God gets the sinner to where he wants him without being responsible for sin. We know he's not responsible for their sin, but we've just read many instances where the Lord uses people's sin to do his purposes, and yet James tells us that God causes nobody to sin. Because God commands all men everywhere to repent. Anytime anybody sins, it's against God's revealed will. But the secret counsels of God are working in providence that we don't under, always see and understand. And so First Chronicles 21.1 tells us, as this account begins by the person who wrote that book, that Satan stood against Israel. So it was Satan, Satan's heart to, to cause destruction on Israel, and he got, he incites David to sin, to, to count him because he knows it was something he was not supposed to do and that God would send his wrath upon that. You know, Satan understood that. Joab did too. David did too, really, but David didn't care at that point because that's what sin does to us, right? It gets us to sometimes just completely not think of what we're doing, right? We get so caught up in what we want. And that's kind of what happened to David. So it tells us, though, that, that Satan is allowed to incite David and the number of the people so that God could teach them some lessons and certainly that God could uh, put something in scripture that we can benefit from. And just as we saw in Acts chapter 4, that the uh, Lord decreed from eternity that the Son would be crucified, but it was going to be through allowing wicked men to exercise their wickedness. And that's just a, a lesson over and over uh, again. The, the other thing that this... Uh, text leaves uh, really unanswered is why it was wrong for David to take the census. Uh, again, there's speculation. There's assumption, and I think probably proper assumption, that uh, the, he was not to do this because he was doing this uh, irresponsible or irregardless of God and, and, and not in reliance to God, but he, he wanted to know how big his army was for his own uh, pride. I think that's clearly implied. Uh, there's really no place in the law, though, that says that he could not do this. Um, so there, there's speculation, but I think it, it becomes pretty apparent. You know, Job, Joab, both here and in First Chronicles, makes it very plain that David, you know, King David, you know you're not supposed to do this. So why are you doing it? You're just going to bring a wrath of God upon us, which is exactly what happened. Uh, in Exodus 30, if you were here, we went through Exodus uh, 12 through 16. We learned that, that, you know, God had Moses first number the people, that there was a, uh, a, a tax that went along with that, that basically, uh, it would say, these are my people, so I can tell you to number them. It was God's right because they were God's people, and so he had a right to uh, number them, and so the, the, the tax, was a kind of a redemption. Um, so they were, it was God's people and whether it, it might be a case where they were never to, the king was never to number his people or number his army. And yet, of course, we're told often 
that when there was battles, we knew how many men were involved, right? So there was a sense of that they did number them, at least after when they came together uh, for war, they would probably divide up into groups of, of a certain number. Then they would multiply that out and quickly be able to tell how many people were uh, the army has. But this, again, is in peacetime. This is David wanting to know. This is David not caring, not relying upon the Lord, right? And, and there, that seems to be pretty obvious as we read through this. Um, then we find out over in First uh, Chronicles later on that David did not count below 20 years of age, for the Lord promised to make Israel as many as the stars of heaven. And again, the implication is that the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a great number. So you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to count. You don't need to see if I'm doing my job. I've already promised this. And clearly, they were not to count below 21. And Joab, the son of Azuria, began to count, but he did not finish. Yet wrath came upon Israel for this, and the number was not entered to the Chronicles of David. Again, it's a little nebulous, but uh, it's possible that uh, the king also wanted the numbers below 21, and Joab drew the line there and says, you know what, I, I am not doing that. And uh, so the numbers that we just read in Second Samuel were the uh, of the ones above 21. But again, you, you begin to see that, that, that clearly they knew this was wrong, and that's really the, the, where we have to leave it kind of at that. Um. Then we need one more uh, passage here, again, back in chapter 21 of First Chronicles, where Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my Lord the King, all of them my Lord's servants? Why then should my Lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? Which it was in verse 6. But he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. Uh, so, for whatever reason... Uh, Joab obeys half-heartedly. Um, he knows this is not right. And Joab, of course, was no, he had his own issues. So for Joab to be so adverse against this, and, and we're not really told when this took place. It, 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 it didn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily early on. It, it was necessarily at the end. We just don't know. As we've said, these last few chapters of Second Samuel aren't necessarily in order. But Joab even knows that this is wrong. So we have to kind of leave some of the questions we might have uh, to, to aside. And we can sum up, though, what we do know and what's important for us to know as we understand this passage. We have here God holding the people accountable for some sin they had committed in the past. In other words, God wanted this to happen because He uh, Israel has done something so that His wrath is against them. Satan is accusing them before the Lord, and uh, God's wrath is against them. And what's happening? People are dying because of it. So you've got these things going on. Well, does any of that sound familiar? Well, in a sense, that's the uh, that's how human history has been ever since the beginning, right? Man is under the uh, just condemnation of sin. Satan is accusing them. Uh, uh, before the Lord, and uh, people are died. The, the wages of sin is death. It's a summary of human history. And so David, uh, in verse 10, when he's finally confronted, 
over his sin. He has, he has uh, conviction here. And, and, and that's one thing about David, as we've said before. When he is uh, called out for sin, uh, it, he shows his truly regenerate heart. He always comes under convention and, uh, conviction and repentance, right? He doesn't make excuses. And he, he, he repents. All right, fine. Uh, the people, you know, you sin. Uh, so now what? Now what are we going to do? How is God's wrath going to be lifted? And so the Lord comes up with the plan. I'll give you three options that here in verses thirteen uh, and so forth. And uh, He says um, three years of famine, or three months of warfare, or three days of pestilence. Now, if you are using a, a, a translation based off the KJV uh, manuscripts, you'll see that the first one is not three years of famine, but seven years of famine. I think pretty clearly that was a mistake. Uh, when you read in First Chronicles account, it's three. Uh, the Septuagint, which is what the newer translations generally uh, go by, is three. Uh, the Hebrew has seven, so that is certainly there. But, uh, again, there's, if there's conflict, you would, I think it's pretty obvious that it's three. First of all, you got three threes, which would make more sense too, but that's why there's, would be a difference in, depending on what translation you're using. But we notice here that David really doesn't choose. Um, in this, in, except that, well, there's three. The first one is, I, Three years of your enemies kind of running rampant, and you're able, unable to defend yourself. And, the, and David kind of dismisses that one. He says, I would rather take my chances, if you will, or suffer the wrath of God. Because notice the second two are, uh, no, excuse me, it's the second one that is the three months of warfare, excuse me. The, the other two are famine and pestilence. And the difference there is that you are in the hand of your enemies in one. You are left in the hands of God in the other two, right? And so David says, I choose either one of those. I'd rather the Lord, because he does, it doesn't say that he chose the pestilence. Um, but he chose, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to let the Lord put myself in the Lord's hands. And so the Lord sends three days of pestilence. You know, David knew that God was a, a, a merciful, Loving God. And so he says, you know, remember when he prayed about the death of his son with Bathsheba? He, he prayed, maybe the Lord will, I know he said that my child will die, but, but maybe the Lord will repent, relent, you know, he, he will uh, change his mind from a human standpoint. And, and, and I think that's what's going on here. And so the Lord chooses a pestilence, a disease to spread across the land and kill people by the thousands. And so you've got people who are under the condemnation of God, paying the penalty of that in sin through death. But now things really get interesting because the, the angel has gone throughout the land, and as he comes to Jerusalem, uh, obviously David is allowed to see him at that point, the angel of death, as it were. And the Lord says, that's enough. So all of a sudden the Lord says, I'm going to spare some I'm going to spare those who are in the city of David, in Zion. Those and those alone I am going to spare and and not allow any of them to die. And uh, so David sees that and 
David, in, in, in the meantime, I guess you might say, is praying, Lord, please, let's stop this. Verse 17. He asked the Lord to, to, if it be his will to stop, or he says, um, Behold, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. So let me bear the brunt of it, my family, but save the rest of Jerusalem. And it's interesting, David really couldn't have understood really what he's saying, but he says, these sheep. Now, yeah, they were the sheep. David was the shepherd of Israel and all that. But what what a prophecy, maybe, you know, just an inadvertent prophecy that the, that the Lord is going to shave his, save his sheep through a sacrifice, right? It's a David kind of takes it upon himself, the people's sin. And he speaks ignorantly, but he, but this is ultimately what happened, that, that, that uh, the mediator saves the sheep from their sin. And so David is told to make a sacrifice to save the people from death. As we go on in verse 18, the Lord said that day to David and said to him, came that day, or excuse me, Gad did, um, Gad came that day to David, go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And David went up at Gad's word, as the Lord commanded, and when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna, Aruna uh, went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. And when Aruna said to David, then said, uh, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offerings, and the threshing sledges, and the yoke of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God. That cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. So the God picks the place and says make a sacrifice there. So you have David taking the sin of the people upon himself and asking God to forgive them. And kind of think about John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, where Jesus asked the Father to bless, to to, to use the, the cross for its intention, to forgive the sins of the people, of your elect, right? Those you have given me. Uh, so you kind of see some similarities there. And God says, okay, make a sacrifice because... It's through the remission of sins that, uh, that, uh, through the shedding of blood, there's remission of sins. Now, just it, before I finish, it would be perhaps proper to point out that, um, David says, look, I will not make a sacrifice on that which costs me nothing. Because, if, you know, a ruler was going to give it to him and he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I, I think that um, that's something that we can take to heart, that we can think about, that 
that we haven't really sacrificed something for the Lord if it doesn't cost us anything, if it doesn't mean anything to us. God will take all of our best. Um, he will take all of us or he'll take nothing. Uh, so we might apply this by saying that if your commitment to Christ is only when things are easy and it doesn't cost you anything, you know, I'm, I'm willing to serve the Lord as long as it uh, gets me stuff but doesn't cost me anything, for instance. And if I'm going to have to suffer for it, then I, I don't want any part of it. Then I would say you you don't know the Lord to begin with, and and, and David says that look I'm not going to worship God uh, if if and, and call this a sacrifice if I haven't sacrificed anything. And so anyone who wants to identify with Christ in His church, but only if it doesn't bring persecution, I would say really hasn't identified with Christ at all because Jesus says you'll know, take up your cross. And follow me. Uh, you know, all who live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Um, and so, you know, it's, I just think that's this kind of shows Dave, David's character, and it reminds us that um, you know we 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 give of ourselves, and it, it means we're going to lose. It means we're going to suffer. It means it's it's it's, it's going to be sometimes painful, but that we've given our lives to the Lord, and what we would expect no differently. I think it's why sometimes it's so hard to discern between the truth saying and the hypocrite in America because baptism and church membership really doesn't cost anybody anything. Now it's changing to some degree. There's certainly many that have suffered here in the last few years for standing up for what is right. But since it doesn't hurt, it doesn't cost me, uh, you know, it, it, who wouldn't? It, again, it makes it makes it easy for the lost, for the for the hypocrite to come in to our midst. But if Christ stood up against all and went to the cross for the glory of the Father, then those who follow in His train must be willing to do the same, right? Because uh, we worship the same glorious God. And so, in verse twenty-five, the work of Christ was on the behalf of the people. And the good news is that the Lord responded favorably to the sacrifice and the angel was stopped, allowed to kill nobody else. So again, you see this, this great picture of the condition of man and the remedy is the cross of Jesus Christ, right? The, a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice had to be made, a substitute. And that's our only hope of a clear conscience and the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And it's the resurrection that proves to us that God is satisfied with the death of another so that we can go free. Uh, we'll talk, of course, more about that in the second service. But it's the resurrection that lets us know that the sacrifice was accepted. I was reading about the, the Japanese general who uh, came up with the plan of the kamikazes in which there's over 2,500 men die because of, of his plan, the kamikazes, and uh, just a horrible, one of the sort of the dark days of, of humanity. Um, but so he comes up with this plan, and uh, at the end of the war, when it, it was all for naught, right, he realizes that, and of course he has guilt for this. He, uh, you know, you probably know kind of the Japanese ritualistic way of uh Suicide is Harry Carey, is that, you know, the, 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 the referred to, where they take a 
sword and they plunge it into their belly and they twist and turn or whatever and that's how they kill themselves. So that's what he does again because of the guilt. Because the one who who has related this says you know the the guilt of all these lies were upon him and, and he wrote a letter saying he was sorry for their sacrifice. But when he killed himself, he he stabs himself. But instead of twisting and basically doing something that would cause him to die fairly quickly. He stabs himself, and then he just leaves it at that and will not allow anybody else to attend him, so that it took quite a while uh, for him to die. And it, it was because he, he felt he didn't need to die quickly. He, in other words, he felt he had to suffer in some way for what he did to all those men, those families. Well, you know, you halfway understand that, you know, in the, the miserable conscience that he had, but it's... You think about it, it's too bad he didn't know about the sacrifice that Christ made so that he could have forgiveness. You, you can't make up for the murder of, of that. It is what it is. But, uh, you know, Christ has taken his, our, our guilt upon himself, right? So there's a, there was a way of escape, not to die miserably and then just go to hell. But, of course, he probably didn't know the gospel. And, but it's but it just a reminder to me of how good it is to know that no matter what we've done in this life, and perhaps I guess none of us will ever be guilty of what that guy did, but it doesn't matter. We, we, Christ has taken it all, right? This, this is an amazing aspect of Christianity. Well, as we close, though, this is really not, not all that there is to the account, because over in Second Chronicles, Chapter 3, we read, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan, that's what you call there, the Jebusite. Twice now, the Lord has provided a sacrifice as a substitute for one of his chosen people. And of course, the other place, through Genesis 22. And this is why it's so important to go through the Old Testament, right? This is why we take the time, and it's unfortunate that people don't take advantage of going through the Old Testament because it's, you don't understand what's going on in the New Testament without the Old Testament. So, the same spot, this threshing floor is the place where in uh, Genesis 22, Abraham called the name of that place. And remember, that's the place where he was going to sacrifice Isaac. There was a rock there. He would sacrifice Isaac. And the ram was caught in the thicket. And the Lord says, stop, Abraham. I will provide myself a lamb. Kind of a play on words, in a sense, at least in the English, right? Because the Lord did provide himself as the lamb. And then it says, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided or seen. So it was on this Mount Moriah that turns out was the very place that uh, this man had a threshing floor that David bought where another time the, the wrath of God was turned aside for the people of Jerusalem. And so how God methodically moves everything towards this little hill just outside of Jerusalem. First we have Abraham, then the threshing floor of 
Aruna. And then later at that very spot, Solomon builds his temple where sacrifices are being made daily for the sins of the people. So you got three different things going on on that one spot. Speaking of the time, of course, when ultimately Christ will fulfill all this just a few hundred yards away on another little mount, Mount Calvary, right? Golgotha. And he will be sacrificed. That will be the ultimate, final sacrifice. Uh, and so, you know, just, just, what, a, what, a, what proof that this is the word of God and that, that God was directing all these things. And that leaves us then with Christ in the tomb. And of course, as a second service, we'll talk about the resurrection, but, uh, just in passing and closing, under the dome of the rock today, you know, the Muslims have a, a, uh, what do they call it? Temple? What do, what do they call those things? The Muslims call it the, the mosque. Yeah. Um, the, on the dome of the rock in Jerusalem. And if you, you've probably seen pictures of it, it's, it's, they're rare because they don't like that kind of stuff, but there's a big flat boulder. It's got a, just a nice big old flat top. That is a, considered to be the place where Abraham offered Isaac. And uh, very clearly, it would be a great place for a threshing floor. Perhaps it was the very rock, of course, that uh, was used here in our account today. But just just showing that, that this is God's word. It's not, it's not stories. It's not fairy tales. That these things actually happened. And they happened for a reason, right? Any questions or comments? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we ask, Lord, that you might uh, have the Holy Spirit strengthen us through it. May our faith be increased. May our love for you be increased. Thank you for the word and how it all works together, how the, the, the complexity of it. Yet one simple message, and that is Christ that been crucified and risen again. So we pray, Lord, that we would have a good day, a good service to follow. Pray for those who could not be here today, that you might be with those who are sick. Pam and she cares for Tina and that situation that she might be home soon and uh, Lord that you would uh, have mercy upon them we pray in Jesus name. Amen.